Acts chapter 4, this second part of Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 22, I think. I think we got to 21 last time, right? Okay, so Acts chapter 3 and 4 all revolve around the same event, which was the healing of the man at the gate called Beautiful. He was healed, Acts chapter 3. Uh, Peter preached, Acts chapter 3. People got saved, Acts chapter 3. Beginning of Acts chapter 4, the leaders decided it was too much commotion going on and they came and arrested Peter and John and the the man who was healed and they tried him so to speak they examined him you know did we look at that last time that was last week right the first part of four okay well now remember at the end of last week they said we we got to let them go they they were f- afraid of the people rioting or whatever and so they couldn't deny the miracle they couldn't deny Peter's explanation of the miracle three times we've seen Peter preach a sermon all three sermons were exactly the same uh, he accused them of sin of killing Jesus he said that God had approved Jesus by raising him from the dead and now he commanded them to repent and turn from their sin turn to Christ and so all three times in Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 3 Acts chapter 4 Peter sermon was exactly the same they let him go and so what we're going to see here is as Peter and John are leaving the presence of the Sanhedrin the council they're going to go back to presumably I'm thinking it doesn't really tell us it just says they went back to their own or back to the people Uh, but I'm thinking they went back to the crowd of folks that had believed you know by this time by this time there was 15,000 people or more in the church in Jerusalem. Remember, it was 3,000 the first time Peter preached, then 5,000 the second time he preached. And so that's, uh, you know, that's 8,000, 9,000 people. That's presumably just counting the men. So you can say there's at least eight or 9,000, could be as many as 15 to 20,000 people in the church. And so he went back to, it says he went back to his own. And so what he's going to do is he's going to tell them, they're going to tell them what happened. You know, all these guys are telling us that we're not allowed to speak in Jesus' name anymore. We're not allowed to teach in Jesus' name. And we told them basically to stick it. You know, we're going to do, we're going to do what we want to do. And I mean, we're going to do what God has told us to do. Their final words to the Sanhedrin were, whether it be right to obey you or to obey God, you judge. But we can't help but, you know, preach of what we've seen and what we've heard. And so the church is now faced with a crisis. This is the first persecution of the church. So what are they going to do? The first thing that they're going to do is when Peter and John go to uh, their own, go back to the assembling of their believers, they're going to pray. And they're going to pray to God. And the the contents of their prayer is really amazing to me. Uh, What they actually prayed for and how they actually prayed. And then at the end of chapter 4, it's going to talk to us about the fellowship of believers. So two really weighty subjects in the end of this chapter. I'm going to try to get to both of them and deal with both of them. Substantially, but is a lot here that we can talk about. Okay, y'all with me? Prayer, fellowship—that's what we're talking about. The first thing that they do is pray. Verse twenty-two, no, twenty-three. And being let go, talking about Peter and John, they went to their own, to their own company, 
and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, when all the people heard what they had said, remember they told them about the persecution, told them they were commanded not to speak in Jesus' name. This is what they did. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and they started praying. Uh, Now think about this for a minute. The question before them here is, do we obey God or do we not? If we obey God, remember, we kind of divorce it from the context of what was going on. We know the story. Just pretend for a moment like you don't know the story. Like you don't know what's about to happen. You're reading this for the first time. You don't know. I mean, they they understood that just a few months earlier, Jesus had been in this same predicament with these same enemies, these same people that were commanding them not to... uh, not to uh, preach, not to teach, not to do miracles. I'm going to unplug this. If I do not plug that in after Sunday school, I'm blaming all y'all. You got to remind me. So, and what happened to Jesus? They killed him. So, now, let's say you're one of the crowd. I've just believed in Christ. Peter's preached and I'm hearing this sermon. and uh, The Holy Spirit has come and made my heart new. And then... As soon as I believe they arrested the guys that was preaching, now they're back and they're telling us we can't do this anymore. We've got to stop. What am I thinking? What would you be thinking? Thinking about judging your mind. Yeah, you're thinking about, oh man, I didn't. I made a mistake. I mean, this is not just so often here. We think of this as a decision. You know, we made a decision for Christ and we've decided we're going to... And it is. I'm not saying it's not. Of course it is. But this was a matter of life and death to them, wasn't it? I mean, this is not a matter of, you know, I think I'm going to... You know, we're going to go and we're going to try this new church out. You know, we're going to try this new deal out. We're going we're gonna to give Jesus a try or whatever, you know, the stuff that we do today. This was a matter of life and death. Am I willing to risk my life? I mean, they just killed this guy a couple months ago. And now here we are preaching in the temple. They're preaching and, and you know, I mean, what they're saying sounds right and it's all good. And But now the same people that killed the guy that they're preaching about is threatening to kill them. So is this really worth my life? You got a question? If you were just on your own going, okay, maybe you got like 8,000. Got a posse. Yeah, you got a whole bunch of people. We just kind of be like, well, maybe they can't say something to all of us. Maybe. There's safety in numbers. You're going to hang us all? Pretty much, yeah. uh, probably that that's a very valid point. I mean, I can sure, if, especially if there were. I mean, it says that five thousand were saved at Peter's second sermon, and if all five thousand of them were standing around in the crowd, I mean, I could see where they were like, you know, we're going to do whatever we want to do. But I don't think what I was talking about being afraid for your life. We're going to see in their prayer that they weren't. And what you're talking about, I tell you what, you can't take all of us. We're going to see in their prayer that they weren't like that either. What they're going to do is something that we often fail to do. They're going to turn to God and they're going to say, you in control. You do 
whatever your will does and we're, you just give us that's the amazing thing about this prayer is they start off talking about how sovereign God is you created all these things and you're in control and you know and then what they ask for in their prayer is so not what I would ask for you know I'm going through persecution I'm going through trial whatever what am I going to pray God get me out <laughs> take it off me you know drop, strike all them leaders with lightning so they don't you know what? I don't know what I'm going to pray but that's not what they pray all they pray for is look give us boldness so we can endure this they don't pray to get taken out of it. They don't pray that they would get favor with these guys. They, all they pray for is, God, you keep doing your work, your miracles, your healing, your gospel. You keep doing those things, and you give us boldness to walk through. I mean, it's kind of amazing, don't you think? I know most of, most of our prayers, most of my prayers are, are, God, get me out of this situation. I don't want to be in this. I don't want to be, I don't want to be faced with this, but that's not what they pray. They want, they want to face it head on. They just know that they don't have strength to do it, and they pray that God would give them the strength they need. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's, let's just read it, and then we'll look. We'll look at it. Um, verse what? 23. 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders said to them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven, earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, who by the mouth of Thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? <laughs> And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord Christ, against the Lord and against his Christ. Okay, stop there for a second because I don't want to get lost in the, the, the midst of the prayer. But the first thing they do is they call upon God as sovereign Lord. The, the word, see... And they heard that they said, Lord, thou art God. That word Lord is not the usual word that's f- translated Lord in the New Testament. That word is, is despotes. That's where we get the word despot. You know what a despot is? Now y'all know what a despot is? A despot is like, uh, is like, you know what a despot is? No, I know what a despot is. A despot, yeah. It's not home despo, it's despot. Uh, despot is like a master or a ruler, but it's always used in a negative sense. If you're wanting to say somebody's a despot, that's an English word. That's not a Greek word. I mean, that's a despot is a tyrant or a, uh, somebody who's in control. And they use the word. It doesn't mean tyrant in Greek language. They're not saying, oh, tyrant, you are God. They're saying sovereign master. He, they're calling him the, the one who is in control, the one who has everything under his power, master, the one who is, is the ruler of all things and they they illustrate that by showing what he's done he's created the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth that's what it says in verse uh, 24 uh, Lord thou art God which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that's within him you created us you created these Sanhedrin these Pharisees these rulers that are that are threatening us they start by showing that God is in control of all things and the second thing they do is quote Psalm 2 and I don't know if any of y'all have read Psalm 2 but that's what it says who by the mouth of thy servant David has said and then Psalm 2, one, verse 1 and 2. It says, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and His Christ. That's Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2 that they just quoted. Now, they take that 
and they apply that to what happened to Jesus. They give you the explanation of Psalm 2, 1 through 2, by saying, verse 27, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, servant Jesus, thou hast anointed, that word child also means servant, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. He's in control, isn't it? Isn't that what it says? Now think about that for a minute. Think about that. What they're saying is, God, you are in control. Creator, heaven, earth, all things in the sea. All you are the creator. And you foretold through the prophet David, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, that all this was going to happen to Jesus, that your servant would come, that he would suffer, that the kings of the earth would rage against him, and that they would come and persecute him and kill him. You foretold this would happen. And so what they're doing is they're showing, they're, they're, they're making a confession that, God, we know that you're in control. Not only are you master and, and ruler of the world in control of all things, but you said beforehand that this was going to happen. I mean, you told us way back in Psalms by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of the prophet David, that's what it says, that they were going to stand up and they were going to start persecuting. They were going to be raging against Jesus, raging, raging against uh, the church. And so they understand that rather than praying, God, why is this happening to us? They understand that this is what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to go through this. Uh, Huh? Yes, they're walking in their faith. And just like 1 Peter 4 says, uh, in 12, 1 Peter 4, 12 says, uh, don't think it's strange when some fiery trial comes upon you. Like You don't know what's going on. I mean, this is what's going to happen. Uh, now, go. I think it's interesting that they're actually going to God's Word to guide us. Yeah, praying God's Word, isn't it? Yeah, actually praying His Word back to God and using God's Word to guide us. Yeah, there used to be a time when somebody would stand up and they would say, you know, if somebody took five minutes in their prayer and just said, Lord, you're king of heaven. You're the wondrous creator. You said in your word, thou shalt, you know, and just start. You'd be thinking, man, this, what is this guy doing? Just pray what you're going to pray. Come on. I mean, there was a time when I thought like that, like you shouldn't be praying. I mean, you're not praying, you're preaching, you know, but that's exactly what they did. I mean, that's exactly how they prayed. They would in every prayer. I mean, not just this one. They were quoting Bible verses, quoting scriptures, quoting what God it said, quoting, and it, it's really amazing that, I mean, that's that's how they pray. Y'all ever do that? Yeah. Do you know, how many of y'all, let me ask you a question, this has nothing to do with my lesson, but how many of y'all spend time, I'm not going to ask that question, it ain't none of my business, how many of y'all have trouble keeping your mind focused when you try to spend time praying. Okay, like you're praying and then five minutes I'm thinking about the grocery list, I'm thinking about the whatever. What are you doing, man? Do you know how we can avoid that? It's very hard. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, 
The thing about that is, the thing about that is, you don't have to, when, when you interpret the word, when you read the word and try to interpret it in context, you're trying to get the flow of what it's trying to say. You're not just making up stuff and putting it in. But if you're praying the scriptures, you can pray anything. That's right. Because you're supposed to pray for everything anyway. So, for instance, I want to spend 15 minutes praying. I got 15 minutes or I've set aside 30 minutes. I've set aside for whatever time you set aside. And yes, you do have to set aside time. You can't just do it when you have time because you never will. When you set aside 30 minutes, you think, praying for 30 minutes? I don't have enough stuff to pray for. Or you find yourself praying for the same stuff every day. And after like a week and a half of praying the same prayers, you're like, man, this is, I'm just praying the same thing every day. You take a psalm. Or any, any part of Scripture. But the Psalms seem to work best just because men were praying. And you just take it line by line. And you pray what the psalmist prays, but you use your own, you use your own life experiences, your own needs, your own whatever. Think about it. For, like, um, if Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? You just spend time praying about God, please be my shepherd. Whatever comes to your mind, be my shepherd. You know, if things are going bad with your family, you're worried about your children, God, I want you to be a shepherd to my children. I mean, you pray whatever comes to your mind. And then when your mind starts bouncing off into the, the laundry list or whatever, you go to the next line. I shall not want. And then you pray, whatever comes to your mind about I shall not want. And then you just go, and that's how you spend. And we're not talking about, we're talking about you praying whatever pops into your mind about that verse. And we're talking about spending time with the Lord. We're not talking about just making sure I get all my stuff in. Yes? I found that when I do that, praying the Word, that the Word becomes present tense to me instead of like reading it. Yeah. It becomes present tense to me. And right then, present time. Right. It becomes real. And it, it, it loses that time frame and it becomes part of it. Becomes your prayers. Right. Not just right. Yeah, what you're reading. I agree. So, definitely, we need to be doing that. So, they prayed the word, they prayed about God's control. Now, there's a very interesting statement that is a lot of argument going on throughout history over. Verse, I don't lost this Bible is so small. I need some glasses. <laughs> oh yeah, verse 27. Huh? No, I got it. Sorry. For truth against thy holy child, this is the how they say Psalm 2 was fulfilled. Uh, holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, listen, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, that's pretty much everybody in the whole world, were gathered together. What were they gathered together to do? To kill Jesus. But verse 28 says, this is what, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. You see where the question is? What's the logical question that comes to mind when you say, Herod, now, Pilate was just a mean dude who was scared of losing his position. That's the only reason why he was, he didn't want the people to riot. He didn't really care. His wife had warned him about Jesus and, you know, he really didn't have a love for Jesus, but he didn't want the people to go nuts and Caesar remove him. Uh, Herod was just a nutball. You know, he was just, 
you know, do a trick for me, Jesus. Do a trick. You know, Jesus wouldn't do anything. He was just crazy. Uh, Gentiles were Romans following orders, didn't care. People of Israel were, you know, crucify him, crucify him. But it says that they all came together in this one place to do what God's hand had determined before what should be done. So what question pops into your mind when you hear that? Yeah, did Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, did they have a choice to do what they did? Or was it something God just pulled the string and made it happen? I mean, is that not a question? If y'all don't want to ask, ask that question, we'll just move on. They did have a choice. I agree. I mean, I, you know I'm not going to deny that they made their own choice. I just told you Herod was a nutball. and wrote, Huh? But it says that his hand and his will, let's see, 27, determined before to be done. What had determined before what? So it's like the event was going to happen so if God had determined that Herod would do what Herod did, Pontius Pilate would do what he did, could Herod have done anything other? Yes. So Herod. Okay. It would have been somebody else. So Herod could have messed up God's plan. No. What I'm saying is, is that. If it wasn't Herod, there was somebody else that was just as wicked, just as sinful, just as angry, mean, however you want to put it, that would have stepped in and taken the place and wanted Jesus killed because that was God's will. It was God's will for Jesus to be killed. No, it was God's choice. It was Jesus' choice to do this. Yes. But was it the God's will that Jesus be crucified? Yes. Okay. Was it God's will that sinners crucified Jesus? Yes. Could they have done anything other than crucify Jesus? No. Okay. About the deity of God, He knew it was going to happen before it ever happened, so He foretold and wrote about it. He did. Even because He knew it was going to happen, so He was born so that we could have a way. No, no. I listen. I'm. I'm just. I'm just watching this take place. I'm not saying any of y'all are wrong or anything like this. What? Yes, he knew it was going to happen. But did he know it was going to happen because he decided that it should happen or because he just looked down and saw what these crazy people were going to do? I think he decided when it was going to happen. He knows the beginning. Yes, he knows it. That's true. Here's the thing that I want y'all to see. There's... We're forgetting about free will. Huh? No, no, we're not forgetting. I'm, I'm not forgetting about it. Well, I'm just, I'm just showing you the conundrum that we have. Yes. But see, that takes us back. This takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden and everything else. God knew that they were going to sin, and He would need to send Jesus at some point in time as a savior. So I mean, it goes all the way back to before the beginning of time. Well, yeah, it does. But could He have sent Jesus and the people not comply with His will that Jesus would die for the sins of the world? Was it possible that He could send His Son and His Son not be crucified and like, dang, I tried, guys? No, you're not going to fool God. No, he knows what they're going to do. 
I understand. I understand. All we're doing, listen, listen. All right, look. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I know he knows what they're going to do. My question is, does he know just because he looked down and saw that they were going to do it? Or did he have a plan and purpose in that them doing it? He had a plan. I can't hear all y'all. What? I said the promise had been made. The of Genesis three fifteen. Yes. I'm gonna bring a seat. So, but he was looking beyond the death of, of the Savior. He was beyond. I mean, his plan extended beyond just that point of time. Right. Everything that y'all have said is correct. The free will is correct. <clears throat> Sovereignty of God is correct. Here's the point that you got to come to. Well, I have a question. The free will you brought up. I brought up. What? I brought it up. But if they had free will and he knew they were going to do it, how was it free will and That's what I was just finna say. You have to hold both in tandem together. Okay? We are... Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Romans, and the Jews were not mechanical beings programmed to do a thing and therefore they had to do it. They chose to do what they desired to do. They chose to, their sinful heart, they chose to follow their sinful heart. God did not hold a gun to their head and said, you will kill my son. They chose to do it. Didn't Jesus say to choose life or cursing? But I choose, he said, but I came to give life more abundantly. Yeah, well, he said. Choose death or life. uh, Blessings or cursing. Yeah, I read that last night. Can't remember. Yeah, you think about Moses on the mountains. Choose life. Yeah, I believe Yeah. But that's like, you're saying like put free will in one hand and predetermination in the other and you have to use them both. Well, God is in complete control of all things. Period. That's true. I don't care what you say. I, the Bible says that God is in complete control. The Bible also says that you are responsible for your choices. You can't get around that. You can't dance around. You can't blame God for tempting you or leading you off into some sin. You're responsible for you. You have to take both of those. God is, I like to say it this way, God is sovereign enough to allow you to have your choice and still fulfill His plan, His will. Does that make sense? So, oh, okay, I'm going to write that. God is sovereign enough to, she won't be right now and I'm trying to hear you. God is sovereign enough to allow you to have your own choice in a matter, but still fulfill His purpose and His plan. So, think about this. Now, I want you, hey, we can, we can stand around and theoretically talk about that, and it, it's, it's okay to understand, but when something crappy happens to you, it's harder. It's harder to grasp that. I mean, think about... I don't want to use no... Huh? <laughs> Let's use something that's not really... That's, it's, it's happened a while ago, and therefore it's not as emotional as... I mean, I can use some modern day, just in the last few weeks, example. But... Let's talk about let's talk about the guy who walked into the elementary school in Connecticut or whatever it was that years ago and started shooting people, right? Okay, here's the thing. God didn't make that guy do that. So I mean, he didn't force him to do that. I mean, it, awful, sinful, evil. Here's the question. 
Did God know it was going to happen before it happened? Yeah. Okay. Is God powerful enough to stop it? Absolutely. Okay. God didn't stop it. So what does that mean? That means He allowed it. He allowed it for a reason. We don't know the reason. And I sure ain't going to be running up to nobody, no parent, and saying, well, God, let this happen for a good reason. <laughs> but we know that all things work together for good. All things, God has a purpose. And that's whole, I mean, that's, for us talking about it, I mean, it's, it's a little easy, it's easy for us to understand, but man, when something like that happens to you, you just, I mean, it's hard to say, I know you have a purpose, and I mean, I, if I was a parent, I'd be like, I mean, I'd be like everybody else. Be shaking my fist at God. How could you do this to me? Yes. When things happen like that, you, you notice it brings communities together and it brings people back to them. If it's all just like that, then you don't really think that you need a God. Yeah, that's true. That's a good way to look at it. Look at the Noah Chamberlain situation. See, I was trying not to look at that situation. Why? Because that's real emotional right now and it's real hard. Yes, but that's real. I mean, that's yeah. great, you know, just, I'll, I'll bring it out. That grandmother did not wake up that morning to take her grandchildren out for that tragedy to happen. But at no point during that, you know, that brought that community together. That brought people down to their knees. It opened a lot of people's eyes. It opened people's eyes who were in no way, shape, form, or fashion connected to that family. I agree. And it turned a lot of people's hearts to God. They saw this family in the midst of this tragedy turn to God mm -hmm. and not place the blame on this person. There were people blaming people because they couldn't understand it. Right. But still, through that one little boy, a community came together. A yeah. lot of that community came together on their knees. So, I agree. And coming back to that, what she said about the school shooting, I know that a lot of people, probably in the Sunday school class, don't listen to Southern gospel music, and I do. And there's a song out now. I got Jennifer Dustin both to listen to it, and it starts out telling like a story about a school shooting. And people was wanting to know, where's God in all this? And the principal of the school steps up and says, God wasn't in this because you asked God to leave. Right. Well, and so the point I'm trying to make, and we could talk about all kind of examples. The point that I'm trying to make, the point that the text makes is that God purposed. We, all, we don't have a problem knowing that God purposed for his son to die. He purposed for his son to be murdered. I mean, sinfully murdered. He purposed that it was happened for the good of the world because he loved the world. He purposed that it would happen. But if you read through the Gospels, you know that that in no way takes the responsibility for the act off of Pilate, off of the nation of Israel, off of Herod. Because every sermon Peter has preached up until this point, what has he said? He said, God sent his son and you killed him. You know, he, you need to repent and turn. He's, he's placing the blame where it belongs. He's placing the responsibility where it belongs. Man makes his choice, follows his heart. But the, and it's for me, it's, 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 it's almost relieving to know that God's perfect will is going to be done in every situation. I don't under you asking me for answers as to why this happens. I don't have them. I mean, I don't have them why some nutball 
would choose to take up a gun and walk into a school. I don't have an answer for that. I'm sorry. And none of us, none of us do. Uh, but we know that we can rest in the fact that God is still on his throne. We have, he hadn't lost control. He hadn't lost control. He hadn't stepped aside and he's not up there going, whoops, oh, I didn't see that coming. And he's not going to. That's right. And so what they're saying is here, they started the prayer by saying, we know that you're in control. We know that heaven that you created. We know that you foretold this would happen. And he said, it's come to pass because Herod and Pilate and all these, they came together to to kill your son Jesus to do what you said was going to happen. And so they're trusting in God's purpose and God's will. And they're facing persecution as they do it. And so as we read, it says... It says, where was I at, man? To do with 29. And now, Lord, this is what they asked for. They don't ask to be removed from suffering. They don't ask to be removed from persecution. This is what they asked for. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Look at what they're saying to us. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. So what they, what they asked for was not, get me out of this. They like, let me have boldness in the midst of all this. I'm sorry to keep interrupting. It's okay. But the question was brought up, why did God allow the man to go into the school and shoot? I don't think that's the question we should be asking. I think the question is, why did we allow it? When, when the good sit down, the bad would stand up. These people could have sat down with the reason out there, but they chose to act upon their faith. What people? The, the Bible. Did you talk about here? The church? Yeah, the church. They, they came together and they boldly went before God for their petition to protect them and embold them to stand against the problems that they had. We don't do that nowadays. We don't come together on a regular basis. I don't know. You said that these people come together when when the child was lost. Why does it have to take something like that to cause us to come together? Why are we not already there to begin with? Well, it's because we know that our enemy is out there mm-hmm. waiting to seek and destroy who we made the Bible. Right. We already know that. Why are we not already praying about this? Why are we not already? Acting upon our faith, knowing that God is going to embolden us with His Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. stand against it because we don't fight against flesh and blood; we fight against it. right. Well, in this in this particular instance, they are um, they're preparing themselves to uh, to withstand it. You know, they're not saying don't let it happen. They're not saying take us out of it or anything. They're they're preparing their own hearts by trusting in God's sovereignty to speak with boldness in the midst of persecution. Well, they could have chose to sit down. I guess so, but um, they would have... Could have walked off. Well, if they walked off from the faith, then they would have proven that they weren't part of the faith to begin with. Right. And so persecution was coming for them whether they liked it or not. Uh, They were not going to... The Sanhedrin was not going to allow them to continue to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And uh, as we go through Acts, it's going to be more and more abundantly shown that it's going to take the death of Stephen to 
actually get them to spread out out into the world rather than stay right there in Jerusalem. Up until Acts chapter 7, they just stayed right there. And they was just content to be the church in Jerusalem. And it takes the actual death of Stephen to scare them enough where they you know, spread out. We're leaving out of here. Um, and so they did come together, just like you were saying. They came together. They prayed that God would give them boldness. They prayed God would give them boldness to speak the word and that God would continue to heal and that he would continue to do signs and wonders uh, in the name of his holy child, Jesus. And we're going to see that God answered their prayer immediately. Verse 31 says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. I'm assuming that it's Solomon's portico. It, it, it doesn't really say the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What they asked for? And what happened? They spoke with boldness. They, they were given exactly what they asked for. Of course, they asked for God's will to be done. They, for them to have strength to stand in the midst of the tide of persecution that was coming their way. And it says, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. This is where we're going to get into fellowship. I want to read these last few verses. I don't have much time, so I just, I want to hurry up. I got about 10 more minutes. But I need you to, we've, we've talked about the prayer. We've talked about the things that involved that. I need you to hear this part of, of the early church fellowship because we skipped over it a little bit in chapter 2. And I didn't hit it as, as hard as it needed to be hit. Uh, it says... The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Remember, it's 15,000 folks. Uh, Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection. I'm just going to read it all, then we'll go and talk about it. Resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of those things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according to his, he had need. And Joseph, 36 and 37 actually go with chapter 5, but I'm just going to read them. Joseph, which by the apostles was surnamed Bar- Barnabas, which is interpreted son of consolation, a Levite in the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they were united together. It's a picture of a body. Imagine 15,000 people in one, it says one mind and a one soul. Uh, it's hard to get six people <laughs> to be a one man. I mean, that's a miracle. It, it came about because of the Holy Spirit filling them and the, the, the unity that they had in Christ. And they were all of one heart, one mind. They were all dedicated to Jesus. Uh, it says great grace was upon them. And the apostles preached the gospel, not just to the lost people, but to the church people. You see where? With great power gave the apostles witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And it says they sold possessions for the needy. Now, what's the question that you want to ask? Come on. Y'all going to sell all your stuff and bring it to me? Well, I was Are you needy? Did they look at that as a sacrifice? Yeah, I'm needy. I'm sure they did. I'm sure. Was it just giving of their good heart? Yeah, yeah. And that's the question. Uh, It was 
they they sold all their things, would they not be going with them? Going with them? To preach, to... Oh yeah, I'm sure they were all hanging out. That's the question. Both of y'all are right. Is it communism? <laughs> or the commune? That's what I mean. I didn't mean communism like the political. I meant communism. Is it have they all joined the Christian commune? Yes. No. <laughs> it made them all the same. It said they were one mind, one soul, so it made them all equal and all have their needs met equally. Well, what this is a picture of is Christian generosity. The people, some people who had lands and possessions came and were selling them to provide for those that were needy among them. Now, the interesting thing that you may not pull out of the English text is when it says brought and brought the prices of the things that were sold, that is in what's called the imperfect tense, which means that it is an ongoing action in the past. What that means is... Uh, it was not a one-time thing. It was something that was continually happening. So what, what that shows is that it wasn't like, hey, if you want to get into our group, you got to come bring all your crap, I mean all your stuff, and sell it and give us the money and not have nothing, then you can join our group. That's not what was happening. What was happening is it's a continual process of people bringing, bringing. And in chapter 5, we're going to see, you know, the story of Ananias and Sapphira where they sold the house and lied about the prophet. Peter's going to make clear that it was totally voluntary. He's going to tell them, wasn't this your property that you sold? And after you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do with whatever you wanted to? And so what you see here is people that were in fellowship with each other uh, so that they were giving sacrificially of themselves to help those needy among them. It says there were no needy among them. Uh, and that's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of the kingdom. There were no needy among them because people that had lands and, and things like that were selling them in order to help those that were in need. They weren't just selling all their stuff, renouncing all possessions, and coming and joining the Christian commune. That's not what was going on. And we see that clearly because in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, remember it said they were meeting in each other's houses. They still had houses. In Acts chapter 12, uh, I'm thinking verse 12, Acts chapter 12, verse it's 10 through 12 right in there somewhere. We're going to see that they're, they're going to meet in Mary's house. John Mark's mom still had a house. You know? And so it, this is not, you've got to sell all your stuff if you want to join the church. This is people that were uh, led by the Spirit to, to help those that were in need in the community that they were a part of. Does that make sense? This was not, you can't get in unless you sell all your junk and give it to us and then we'll divide it out how we see fit. It was not uh, socialism or communism or anything like that. It was completely I mandatory. The Amish way of living. What? You know, I can't help but think of an Amish way Amish. of living. Amish. You know, the Mennonites and the Amish and others, you know, they do that. They do that? You know, they give into their church so that everyone else that's in that community that goes to that church is all equal. You know, they, I didn't know that. For instance, you know, I, I, I mean, I know people give to the church, but stuff, but an, a real Amish community or Mennonite community won't have outside sources like insurance and stuff. They give a percentage of their income to the church. Hmm. If there is another family that has to have a surgery or has to have something done, they just kind of keep it in house. 
it's covered 100% by that community. They have approved the church. Mm. A lot of what they do, a lot of what they do does that. Like I didn't know that. That kind of thing that comes from. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. That's real interesting. That's how, that's how they, they live without having all this government assistance. But right. They all give their percentage, but they all give back 100%. Hmm, isn't that something? Huh? They're going to make it easy. <laughs> hey, I'm not giving up. I'm not riding a horse. I'm sorry. That ain't going to happen. Well, you can get the book. Yeah. No. Uh-uh. Okay, so this is what we need to see, and we got to go, I know. Fellowship is not just, this is early church fellowship. Fellowship is not just hanging out together. It's not just meeting and eating. <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> hey. Somebody gave me this example. I read this somewhere and I put a lot of thought into it. There is not in, in heaven. I like living. I live on Cox Lane, which is not really in the country, but it's not really in town either. You know, it's I got neighbors, but they're not close enough to bother me. You know, uh, a lot of y'all live out in the country. You know, you got no neighbors. You just got whatever. Uh, and people like living out in the country because it's quiet and solitude and nobody bothers you. There ain't no country home in heaven. You ever thought about that? I just read that too. What did you say? There ain't no there's not any country homes in heaven. You're not going to be off in a house living by yourself in heaven nowhere. You're going to be in a new city, New Jerusalem, surrounded by believers all over. Oh no, I'm not saying you shouldn't live in a country. No, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not moving. Well, here's my point. I'm not moving to town. I'm not saying that's wrong in the country. I, I like where I live too. But here's the thing. If, if I don't like being around God's people here, heaven's really going to suck. Because <laughs> it ain't going to be no country home in heaven where don't nobody bother you. You're going to be in a city. Millions and millions of people. New Jerusalem. You know, you're going to be around everybody. It's not going to be like I'm going off to my estate. You know, I'll be back later. So if, 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 if fellowshipping, I'm talking about with the believers now, if, if fellowshipping is hard, and I'm not talking about just meeting and eating, I'm talking about fellowshipping, you know, worshiping, praising, investing your life in somebody else. That's really the, the thing. When you invest your life in somebody else, you give of yourself. It doesn't have to be forking out money or selling stuff. I'm just talking about your time, your emotions, your investing you and other people. When you do that, you are fellowshipping with the brethren. That's what they were doing here. They were giving of themselves uh, to, to help those around them, to invest in those around them. So think about that. Ain't no country home in heaven. Somebody else said that. I didn't make it up. But I got to thinking about that. That's, that's kind of stout, you know, because I, I like, I don't want nobody bothering me either. <laughs> so think about it. Let's go. We got, we're already late. So is there any questions before we go? All right. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for Acts chapter 4. God, we thank you that you are in control and we can trust you. God, but we, we also thank you, Lord, that you, uh, you you give us just enough rope to hang ourselves with, God, and we have to trust you. Lord, you, uh, you, you give us our, our will. You give us our choice. And uh, the more that we make them, the more that we know that we we got to depend on you because we're just inadequate to do it ourselves. So we thank you for that. Thank you for showing yourself mighty. And we ask that you be with us today as we go into, into worship, that you 
be with us as we uh, prepare our hearts to serve you and to, to worship you in spirit and truth and to hear your word preached from the pulpit. We thank you for that, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.